So I felt like a pregnant lady. Not because my belly was getting big, which it unfortunately has been during these holidays, but I felt like a pregnant lady because of the craving. Like out of the blue, I just began to crave something really odd, something really weird. It just didn't make sense. I began to crave a Sonic Jalapeno Burger. All right, now, if I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron. I'm the pastor here for Riverwood, and I clearly have problems. So you, you are now my, my uh, 12-step group. All right, I mean, seriously, who craves a Sonic Burger? All right, now, granted, I will say that a, a Sonic Burger is better than a McDonald's. Okay, I've offended some people. All right, but I, if you were to say, hey, you can have, like, the Dirty Burger from the Dirty Dog or maybe one of the burgers from Applebee's, or you can have a Sonic Burger, I, I'm taking one of the others. That's why this was just so strange and out of the blue. Just, I wanted a hamburger with jalapenos with a large grape limeade. The problem was I had no money, no time, and no Sonic to fulfill the craving. But we as humans crave. It's since the moment we're born till our very last breath, we crave. Now, it could be something odd like a Sonic jalapeno burger. Or it could actually be something good, like the sea salt caramel ice cream that's at Duo's. Just got serious. That stuff is, it's either from heaven or hell. I haven't decided yet. It tastes so good, but it's addicting. You'll lose all your money. You'll gain a bunch of weight. I'm still not sure where it's from. It's amazing, though. But we crave more than just food. We crave companionship. We, We crave respect. We crave intimacy. We crave a job. We even can just like crave entertainment. We are creatures that crave. I believe that one of the things that all humans crave is truth. I'll make my point. If you've ever sat down to watch a mystery, whether it's a movie or a TV show, it doesn't even have to be that good. Like the storyline can be completely implausible. The acting can be really, really bad. And yet you can't turn it off because you want to know how the mystery is solved. You want to know how it all fits together because you crave truth. This is where journalism comes from. This is why there are investigations. When a crime is committed, it isn't just the victims that want justice. There's like this cultural sense of we want to know what was done, why it was done, because we crave truth. Which is kind of funny if you think about it, because we live in a day and an age where the mantra seems to be, well, you have your truth and I have my truth. Truth in this day and age has really kind of become very subjective. In fact, did you know that this year in mid-November... Oxford Dictionary named their word of the year as post-truth. The definition for post-truth, just to reduce it down, is basically, it isn't so much what the facts say as to what you feel. Truth is shaped by just your sense of it, not necessarily by what the facts show. However, if you were to take someone who says that, you know, truth is subjective. It, it really is a bit more of how you feel because that, that shapes the way you see things. If you were to put a scandal in Washington before them, or, or maybe a coworker commits a crime, or, or you find out your neighbor's been stealing your UPS packages off your front porch, suddenly you don't want subjective truth. And it isn't so much about how they feel. You want your packages back. 
You don't care if they say, well, my truth is that those were right there. They belong to me. I think it's fine that I take them. Because the truth was that I really thought that UPS guy just put them on the wrong porch. They belong on mine. And yet you'd say, uh-uh. No, the truth is they're for me. You would want objective truth. We as humans crave it. Today we're going to talk about truth. This is one of our three values here at Riverwood. We value grace, truth, and trust. And we talk at Riverwood about leading with grace, but leaning on truth. We're going to talk about that more today. But what I want you to hear is that, well, let, let's put it this way. Imagine that this is a spectrum. Grace is on one side, truth is on the other. And it seems that some people fit somewhere on the spectrum. And so some of you, you might be a bit more of a truth person. And so you find yourself over on this side, and you find yourself getting really excited. Like, yes, Aaron's going to talk about truth. Because you tend to see things black and white. You want it laid out. And so you're like, this is going to be great. I need to warn you, though. Today, we're going to see that there is a negative effect to truth. That, that there is a danger inherent within truth. That is why we talk about leading with grace, not leading with truth. Uh, several years ago, I had the opportunity to preach a sermon at uh, the church where I was on staff at. And it was about, it was called the sweet spot of grace and truth. And I got a lot of feedback from that message. And one gentleman in particular was just really, really animated. In fact, started like telling me it was the greatest sermon he'd ever heard. I think he was very prone to exaggeration. He, he comes up though, and he's just going on and on and on and on and on. And I realized that as he's talking, all he could talk about was the truth stuff that I talked about. And there was nothing about grace. And so finally, I'm not a very confrontational person. So finally, I just had to speak up and say, well, but you realize that, you know, we've got to do this grace. And he just waved it off. He goes, oh, yeah, 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 of course. But, and he just kept going on and on and on. And what I saw over the years from that gentleman is he pushed people away by leading with truth. He pushed family away. He pushed friends away. He pushed coworkers away. Because to him, it was all truth, truth, truth. And so if you're a truth person like this gentleman, I need you to especially listen up when we get to the section today where we're going to hear about one of the dangers of truth. Because I don't want you to see you make the same mistake that this gentleman made. Because we're going to see the danger, one of the negative effects that is inherent within truth. And so we've got to be careful with how we wield truth. Now some of you here, you're, you're more on that grace side of the spectrum. And so maybe a little bit of you, it's a little nervous. You're like, oh no, here we go again. Because, I don't know, maybe you've got a background where, you know, some pastor would pound on a pulpit and wave some really big, thick Bible. Or maybe in your family, you know, it would just be hammered on you. And you just found yourself, like, shying away. And so suddenly you find yourself nervous, like, oh no, we're going to talk about truth. I need you to not be suddenly faking that you got a text message from your dog that he puked on the carpet and you suddenly have to go. Please, stay. Because there is also a positive effect of truth. It is so powerful. And if you leave and miss out on it, you're going to miss out on what God has for you. Because God wants to take truth and use it in your life. So Father, I just pray right now that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you want to say through your timeless scriptures. You've written these truths that have impacted generation after generation after generation. And now we find ourselves here in 2017 coming to these same exact passages that have, have helped and lead and guide so many other Jesus followers. So I pray for the Jesus followers in this room 
that they would be ready to listen to you today, God. And, and Father, as I walk on a subject like this, would you help me to teach it clearly and accurately that there would not be any fog about this, but that it would become crystal clear because you are the one who's ultimately teaching us. And may we walk out feeling inspired and encouraged by your truth as we also leave going, wanting to use your truth wisely for your glory and for our joy. So Father, we just pray right now that you would be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, if you brought a Bible or you've got a Bible app on your phone, open it up to John chapter 14, John 14. Uh, If you've got a smartphone and you haven't downloaded a Bible app to it, hey, don't waste time. Go ahead and do it. I would tell you to do it right now, but they don't have Wi-Fi in the Veterans Post. Uh, Maybe someday they will. But please, when you get home or or that, go and download it. If you don't have a paper Bible, please pick one up. We've got two different translations back there. We'll find one that will fit you well. We would love for you in 2017 to really make the scriptures a central part of your life. We'd love to see you in it every day. Every single day. So that's why we even have some Bible reading plans back there so that you can even read through the Bible in, an, in a year. So please stop by the Give and Grow table if you do not have that. But in the meantime, I have it on the screen as well as what you have in your hands. So let's read John 14. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 today. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When I was a kid growing up in a Christian home, uh, going to church, I learned John 14, 1. And I grew up with the uh, New International Version. I went to look it up this week, and I've seen that they've updated and changed it a little bit. What I grew up with was, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And as a kid growing up, hitting through puberty, having a girl's first name, having a last name that rhymed with nerd and turd and all those things, you know, not being super athletic— There was a lot of trouble in life. And so you found some, you know, comfort in a verse like this. But what I was mistakenly doing was I was ripping it out of context. Now, I don't think what I did as a kid was evil or wrong or sinful and missing the point. I I think God really used it to help me. But I want us to go and look at it. Let's put it in context and see why does Jesus say what he says? Because as we do, we're going to discover one of the negative effects of truth. To understand, to put it in context, we've got to go back a chapter. So if you want, flip back a page. You can scroll with your thumb. We're just going to kind of skim through chapter 13. When chapter 13 starts, you see that Jesus is beginning to celebrate the Passover meal with his disciples. Now, this is what all Jews would do. They, They would celebrate this Passover meal annually according to the customs that God had given to them. And if Jesus had a three year ministry and his guys were with him for three years, they've already done this before. And so this is just the annual tradition. So they get this upper room, they, they go, they prepare the meal, they sit down, and suddenly Jesus, their rabbi, their teacher, the, this guy that they've seen walk on water, he's calmed storms with a word, he's healed the sick, he's fed 5,000 people with nothing but a couple loaves and some fish, suddenly takes off his outer garment, wraps a towel around him, and begins to act like the lowest of servants and wash their dirty feet. Now, keep in mind that these disciples would have walked around in sandals. 
And so their feet would just, you know, sweat and the dust of the roads would cake onto them. You know, if you had the unfortunate, you know, moment of stepping in some doo-doo, you know, that's on your feet too. And here is the Son of God, God in the flesh, wiping your dirty, smelly feet. But not only is Jesus acting strangely, he's talking very strange. Because right after this, he suddenly starts discussing uh, how one of them is going to betray him. And, and they're like, whoa, what? what? No, no one's going to betray you. And can you imagine Judas over there? He's sitting there going, oh, crap, he knows. Right? Like, suddenly, like, this is bothersome. And, and then he starts saying, hey, guys, um, after tonight, I'm going to go someplace where, where you guys can't go. Well, keep in mind that as disciples, they would have followed the rabbi everywhere. All right, when he went to the city, they'd go to the city. When he went out on the countryside, they'd go to the countryside. When he'd go to the bathroom, they'd go to the bathroom. I mean, they were always with this guy. And so for him to suddenly say, hey, I'm going somewhere where you can't go, again, bothersome. In fact, Peter doesn't like it. Peter's like, oh, no, no, Jesus, wherever you go, I will go. I've sold it all. I've given it all up. I'm going wherever you're going. And Jesus just kind of shakes his head and says, oh, Peter, before tonight's over, you're going to deny me three times. Now, I want you to imagine, in that moment, how do you think these teenage Jewish boys were feeling? They were probably feeling confused, a little bewildered, a little lost, maybe sad, maybe scared. Or, to put it another way, troubled. No wonder Jesus starts saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Because he knows that his guys just experienced one of the negative effects of truth. Everything Jesus said in chapter 13, everything he did was truthful. He, he didn't mislead them. I mean, everything he said came true just within hours after this. And yet, it hurt. It, it pushed them away. I, I want you to think of truth as like a knife. In the hands of a skilled surgeon, or, or maybe a really talented chef, it can do immense good. But in the hands of an angry person, whether it's an angry spouse or, or someone experiencing road rage, it can wield a lot of damage. That is why we have to use truth so carefully. Jesus knows that his guys just experienced one of the negative effects. So he has to start bringing in some comfort, some reminder. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. You trust God. Believe in me. Trust me. I've got this. This is why at Riverwood, we talk about leading with grace, but leaning on truth. Because if we lead with truth, we run the risk of pushing people away. But that's not the way of Jesus. In fact, John, who wrote this book, if you flipped all the way back to chapter 1, as he gets going describing Jesus— He's got thousands of words at his command that he could use to describe this Messiah, this Savior. And keep in mind, John was probably Jesus' best friend on earth. If anyone knew Jesus, it's John. And yet, out of the thousands of words that are available to him, he picks two. He said that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And notice the order. He puts grace first. My father-in-law, who some of you have met, is an awesome guy, incredibly brilliant and intelligent. But he would admit, on that grace-to-truth spectrum, he's a truth guy. 
And he says everything in him would love to have John say that Jesus was full of truth and grace. But if you notice the way Jesus lived his life, you see that he led with grace. That is why I think that you see prostitutes falling at his feet. The reason they're in tears is they feel conviction over their sin for the things that they have done, for the decisions that they've made. And yet they're drawn to him because there was a grace about him. We see corrupt tax collectors shedding their ways, correcting it, following him, giving their money away. Because the truth of who he was said what you're doing is wrong, stealing from the people is sin, and so they're going to correct it. But somehow, some way, they're drawn to him because he led with grace. That's why we as a people, to be an effective church, to be a healthy church, have got to lead with grace. But at that same time, we cannot just say, oh, it's all grace. It's no big deal what you do. We also have to lean on truth. Because it's from that standpoint that we can begin to experience one of the positive effects of truth. And that's what we see as the conversation goes on. After that famous verse 1, verse 2 and 3, and there in chapter 14, Jesus starts talking about how in his father's house there's many rooms. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And hey, by the way, I'll come back and get you. And even if I didn't, you guys know the way. Now, I imagine when Jesus said that, all the guys kind of like looked at each other. They probably mouthed like, we do? And so finally, Thomas gets up the guts and says, Lord, uh, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And that's when Jesus says his, one of his most famous sentences. Verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to the Father the only way to reconnect with your creator, the only way to heaven, the only way to connect with the divine is Jesus. And you notice there, he did not say, I am a way. No, he was very clear. He used a definitive article. I am the way, like the only way. And just to make it clear, just in case you're a little fuzzy, he adds on two clarifiers, truth and life. The way to the father is through Jesus and he is truth and he is life. In fact, John, when he wrote, uh, started off his book, not before that famous verse 14 we, we referenced, in John 1, 1, the very beginning of it, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He is poetically describing Jesus. And how does he describe Jesus? As the word. And we learn elsewhere in the scriptures that God cannot lie. So his word is always true, which means that Jesus himself, the word of God, is truth embodied. That means for us, when we say we value truth, what we're really saying is we value Jesus. Because Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32, that when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. That is the positive aspect to truth. When you don't know truth, it's like you're in the dark. It's like you're locked in a cage. But that knife of truth, it is sharp enough to cut the lock off the cage, to break those bars, to open it up, and you can come out into the light. And suddenly you find a freedom of mind, a freedom of life, a freedom of soul. All because you experienced the truth of Jesus. This week, I stumbled onto uh, Christianity Today's website, and they were sharing the top 20 most read stories of 2016. 
And uh, you would expect on Christianity Today, you know, some of those most read articles would be things like, you know, a scandal, some sort of controversy, maybe some famous Christian who passed away, and so there was an article about them. But as I looked through that top 20 list, one of them really jumped out at me, partly because I hadn't seen it before, and partly because I had no idea who the author was, and partly because it was all the way up at the fifth most read article on their site all of last year. So I, I had to click on it. I had to know this story. It was an article written by a gal named Nicole, uh, Nicole Cliff, and her article was How God Messed Up My Happy Atheist Life. And Nicole starts sharing the story of how she was kind of going through a tough time. It had something to do with one of her children. She didn't describe what was going on. But all she said was she was in a difficult place. And during that difficult time, she stumbled onto the obituary that a famous pastor wrote about a famous Christian author. And the only reason she clicked on it is because she personally knows that famous pastor. She actually grew up with his daughters, is friends with them, and she always admired this pastor and his wife, but always thought them a little deluded in their faith. But she was curious, so she clicks on the obituary. And it's an article about Dallas Willard, a famous Christian author, and how he'd passed away and the influence he'd had upon John Ortberg, this pastor. But Nicole writes that as she's reading that obituary, she begins to cry. And she gets curious. So she goes and gets a Dallas Willard book and reads it and cries. And then she gets another book about Jesus and cries. And then she gets another book about Jesus and cries. And pretty soon, Nicole's saying, Nicole, you are a happy person. What is going on? You can't just go around crying all the time. You've got to figure this out. So she contacts a friend and says, hey, I've got some questions about Jesus. Would you mind setting up a time for us to talk? And so the friend emails back. They, they set a time. They scheduled a phone call. And it was a couple days away. And so Nicole's given a lot of thought about this. She's thinking, what questions do I ask? What, what, what do I still want to know? But then about one hour before their phone conversation, Nicole said it hit her. She believed. And it wasn't just that she believed that there was a God. It was that she really believed that Jesus was who he said he was. And suddenly it totally changed the phone call. In fact, here's how she describes that hour right before uh, her, her phone conversation. She says, I was crying constantly while thinking about Jesus because I had begun to believe that Jesus really was who he said he was. But for some reason, that idea had honestly never occurred to, or not occurred to me. But then it did, as though it had always been true. So when my friend called, I told her awkwardly that I wanted to have a relationship with God. And we prayed and giggled a bit and cried a bit. And then she sent me a stack of Henry Nowen books. And here we are today. Basically, though, Nicole had her eyes opened to truth. And when she did, she experienced that positive aspect of truth. She felt freed. Suddenly, this truth that had always been there, but that she had mocked, she ignored, she suddenly realized it's true. And she experienced a freedom. That is why we cannot ignore truth. Because to do that, we are robbing people from the very thing that God has for them. This is why we've got to lead with grace. Because we realize there is this negative effect to truth. But we lean on truth because there is a positive, powerful aspect to truth that frees people from their spiritual darkness. If you're here today, 
and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I just want to invite you that you'd make this day the day that you say yes to following him. That you would allow this truth to be applied to your life and you would experience absolute freedom. You would experience the truth that Jesus proclaimed. Because what we're going to do right now is we're going to go to communion. Because I can't think of anything better to help us understand truth than communion itself. Because if you think about it, inside of communion is a reminder of the negative effect of truth. Because the gospel story is that we were sinners, that God creates humanity. But when Adam and Eve sinned, it allowed sin to come in and affect everything, including the image that God put into mankind. And that image became marred, it became distorted, it became destroyed. But it was still there. That's not a happy part of the story. That's the type of thing that chases people away. Just like, I'm a good person. Why are you telling me that I stink? But it's not the end of the story. There is this positive aspect to it as well. That Jesus loved humanity so much that he was willing to leave his throne in heaven, to come down to earth, to take on human flesh, to live a sinless life, but to go and die a sinner's death. To step into our place so that we could be freed. And when we place our faith in this crazy story, when we realize how true it is, that truth frees us. It creates the way for us to reconnect with our creator, with our father. It brings us life. We're no longer in spiritual darkness. We're now in the light. This is why we go to communion almost every single week here at Riverwood. To be reminded of this truth. And so what we're going to do right now is after I pray, we're just going to sing. And as you notice today, we have two stations set up. Uh, Whenever you want during this next song, you can get up, go, and take the elements. All I'm going to ask is that when you take it, you would first know I am a follower of Jesus. He is central in my life. Because when you take that bread, you're saying that this is the body of Christ which was broken for me. And when you pick up that cup, you're saying this is his blood which was shed for the forgiveness of my sin. So as you take and eat, as you take and drink, you need to do it in worship. You need to do it in remembrance because that right there proclaims the truth. The truth that God loves you and he paid it all so that you could be freed from sin. But I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. If you're a Jesus follower here today and you're going to take those elements, I'm going to ask that you would also not only thank God for this powerful truth that sets you free, would you please pray for one other person that is not free? It could be a Nicole who was happy in her atheism. It could be an Ashley, like we saw in the video, who thinks that she's done too much to be loved by a God. It could be a family member, a co-worker, a neighbor. But they think things are great. And they don't know that they're in darkness. And I believe that there is a craving going on inside of them for truth. And that truth is Jesus. So would you love them enough today to pray for them? To pray that this year in 2017, God would open their eyes and they would see the truth of Jesus and realize that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that God would change their life, rip them out of the cage of sin and darkness, and they would step into the light and life of Christ. So Father, as we come to these elements, pray that you would be glorified. Father, it is difficult to take these elements because they're a reminder that we 
We're sinful without you. There, there was nothing we could do to rescue ourselves, to, to make it all better, to bring reconciliation. But you did it all for us. Jesus, you came to this earth, and then you went and you died in our place. And so we worship you today. We thank you. At the same time, God, we've got friends, we've got family, people that matter a lot to us, that we think also matter to you. We pray that this would be the year we would see you free them as well. And Lord, I just can't help but also pray for anyone here today that has not experienced that freedom yet. And yet right now, they're having their own Nicole moment. Suddenly they realize it's true. And as they realize that, that right now, they would just confess and say, God, I realize that I am a sinner, but yet you came and paid it all for me and I'm forgiven and I thank you for it. Let me now follow you because you gave it all for me. I now give my life to follow you. And that they would now experience the wonderment of your Holy Spirit flooding their soul and their mind. And as they partake of these elements, they would realize it's because you love them so much that you gave it all up. So, Father, as we worship you through these elements, as we worship you through song, as we worship you through prayer, may you just lead and guide us right now to reconnect with you, our Father, as we say thank you, Jesus, for being the way. Help us to value truth. In Jesus' name we pray and ask this. Amen.